Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Our thanks to Adams Road Band for that musical introduction. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. And with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. We have been looking at a Gospel Topics essay titled Becoming Like God. It was posted on an official LDS website, lds.org, on February 24th, 2014. And as we've mentioned so far, the idea of mortal human beings becoming gods, or as this title implies, becoming like God, is certainly a unique understanding among the Latter-day Saint people. So we're going through this Gospel Topics essay critiquing some of the proofs that the Mormon Church feels it has on its side to support the notion that mortal men can become gods. So far, Eric, I'm not real impressed with how they're using Bible verses, and in this next paragraph, it gets even worse. One right after another, these verses are used, but as we look at them, I cannot see how these verses really support the presupposition that many Latter-day Saints have that somehow they will become like God as God is God, especially since, as we've already looked at the Joseph Smith translation in Isaiah 46.9, where it says that there is none like God, and it implies there will never be any that will be like God. And that's the danger when you take verses out of context, not only its immediate context, but the context of the entire Bible, and make it say what you want and base it on your own presuppositions. You've made fatal errors. And when you take verses and you quote them one after the other without giving a whole lot of background, you can make the Bible say whatever you want. And I think they've done a very good job. Well, let me, let me just go back to what we discussed in a previous broadcast. They cite Psalm 82.6 in the previous paragraph where it says, Later in the Old Testament, a passage in the book of Psalms declares, I have said you are gods and all of you are children of the Most High. And then in the next paragraph, it's going to cite that same verse again, but from a different angle in the New Testament. Go ahead and read that paragraph. It says, New Testament passages also point to this doctrine. When Jesus was accused of blasphemy on the grounds that, quote, Thou, being a man, makest thyself God, end quote, he responded, echoing Psalms, quote, Is it not written in your law, I said, ye are God's, end quote. Now, as we discussed previously, James Talmadge was commissioned by the First Presidency to write a book called Jesus the Christ. In that book, on page 501, he addresses Psalm 82.6, the very verse that Jesus is referring to from John 10.34. And as we pointed out, Talmadge held to a very traditional interpretation of Psalm 82.6, saying that the gods mentioned in this particular psalm were really divinely appointed judges. They were human judges. Which I tend to agree. I know there's some different theories as to what the divine counsel involved in Psalm 82, but I think contextually 
it's talking about divinely appointed human judges. And this is why Jesus invokes Psalm 82 when he's talking to the religious leaders of his day and why they reacted the way they did, because I think they knew exactly what Jesus was doing by citing Psalm 82.6, because it's a psalm of rebuke. It talks about wicked judgment on the part of these quote-unquote gods and how because of their wickedness, they will die like men. Which makes you ask the question, if this is really talking about humans who became gods, why are they dying? I thought eternal life was just that, eternal. But apparently not, if you're going to look back at Psalm 82. So when Jesus says, is it not written in your law, I said you are gods, what's the one thing that stands out immediately? Jesus is using present tense. You are gods. He's not saying You will become gods. You ask any Latter-day Saint right now, do you believe you are a god right now? And they will say, what? No, I'm merely a god in embryo. No Mormon believes that they are a god right now. They may believe that they have the potential to become divine, but no Mormon believes that for themselves right now. And yet Jesus says, you are are gods. And that's the idea of perfection. They haven't attained perfection yet, so therefore they can't attain godhood yet. Well, speaking of perfection, what's the next sentence in this paragraph? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus commanded his disciples to become, quote, perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. But you notice what they do even with Matthew 5.48. How many times have we had Matthew 5.48 cited to us but I've, I can't recall, Eric, a Mormon ever citing that passage to me as if that's implying about some future state that I can have. Most of the times when a Mormon cites Matthew 5.48, it's usually in response to something a Christian has said about grace. And they will point to Matthew 5.48 and say, well, yeah, but, but Jesus said you've got to be perfect as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. As if what Jesus was implying is, is you need to be sinlessly perfect. Now, folks, listen, listen carefully. Who do you know that is ever in this mortal state going to be perfect as their father in heaven is perfect? Do you realize what that means? That means if you're going to have the perfection of the father, it doesn't just mean that you're perfect right now. It means you've always been perfect perfect. That's how the Father in heaven is perfect. He's always been perfect. He always will be perfect. Is that really what Jesus is telling us that we need to do in order to meet that qualification for Godhood? I don't think so. And if you look at the context of Matthew 5, he's not talking about sinless perfection at all. He's talking about how we are to behave in light of a fallen world where you have sinners and believers, the just and the unjust. And how God allows his blessing to fall on both. And we're supposed to behave in a like manner. That Greek word teleos, meaning complete or mature, it's not implying sinless perfection. Turn it around and say, okay, you tell me, you really think right now you're perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect? And usually about that time they start backpedaling. 
So why did they quote that verse to me if they know they themselves are not living up to their interpretation of that verse? Let me give you a couple of quotes from LDS presidents on this very issue. You had mentioned this idea of being God's an embryo. Well, we got to quote Spencer W. Kimball in The Miracle of Forgiveness, page 286. He said, in the context of the spirit of forgiveness, one good brother asked me, yes, that is what ought to be done as far as making spiritual preparations before undergoing radical surgery. But he says, how do you do it? Doesn't it take a superman? Yes, Kimball said, but we are commanded to be supermen. As the Lord said, be therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Matthew 5:48. We are gods in embryo, and the Lord demands perfection of us. Now, do you get the impression that Kimball is talking about just some future state? No. It sounds like he's emphasizing this verse in a way that it's implying you need to be like that now in order to gain the future state that you hope to receive, which is exaltation or godhood. And the thing about Kimball is he does that a number of times in that book. And I don't think you can escape the fact that he's telling people in his church, you can do this right now. And other leaders have said the same thing. Let me give you President Thomas S. Monson, and he said in a conference talk in April of 1988, God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord have marked the way to perfection. They beckon us to follow eternal verities and to become perfect as they are perfect. Over and over again, you hear Latter-day Saints, as you mentioned, referring to Matthew 5:48, and it's not something that they are trying to get you to think about in the future, but they're talking about you ought to do it right now. Let's look at this next passage where they're citing from 2 Peter 1.4, where it says, In turn, the Apostle Peter referred to the Savior's exceeding great and precious promises that we might become partakers of the divine nature. Now, we admit that there are some scholars that look at this partaking of the divine nature as something that is going to happen in the future. There are a lot of scholars that say that's something that is happening now. And, of course, you have others that say that it's talking about both now and in the next life. But how you interpret that part of the scripture is really not as important as the importance that Latter-day Saints put on this. Because if they are going to be correct in saying that this divine nature is somehow human beings becoming gods like God is God, then they need to explain to us how that works in light of all the other verses in the Bible that tell us that there is no possibility of humans becoming like God. We went through already in a past broadcast the many verses just in Isaiah alone, Isaiah 43, 44, 45. I think it's clear enough that the God of the Bible is the only God. There were no gods before him, neither will there be any gods after him. He knows of no other gods. There are no gods beside him. And as we mentioned in the past broadcast, folks, that's how it reads in the Joseph Smith translation. So we're not misunderstanding that passage, I would think, even coming from a Mormon point of view. If Joseph Smith has those verses reading that way, then I think that's probably how a Mormon should understand them, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would agree in Isaiah 43, 44, 45, and even 46. I mean, you mentioned the other day, 46, 9, for I am God and there is no other, for I am God and there is none like me. How much clearer do you have to be to be able to get that concept across? I think... 46.9 46.9 makes this entire essay null and void. 
You cannot become like God if you understand that to mean ontologically becoming a deity when Isaiah 46.9 makes it clear that there are none like God. Now, if you want to say, well, that means becoming more Christ-like. I've heard some try to make it sound like it's merely talking about me being more Christ-like. That's not what we're getting so far in this essay. I don't have a problem with the idea of becoming more Christ-like, but again, I think that's a whole different angle, and that's not the angle that's being portrayed in this essay. Let me give you one commentary on this verse, and this is what it says. In this first century literature, to participate in the divine nature does not mean merging into God or union with deity. In other words, neither the Greeks nor the Jews, even the most Greek of them, were pantheists. They all expected a continuing personal existence beyond death, not a uniting with the eternal or becoming part of the one. So there wasn't even an understanding among the early Christians of being like gods. And as you're pointing out, even in Greek thought, they probably wouldn't have understood it like this either. And I think that's important to keep in mind when looking at these passages. We don't want to read into a passage something that the author never intended. Tomorrow we will continue looking at this Gospel Topics essay, Becoming Like God. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism. get frustrated when your Latter-day Saint friends misunderstand what biblical Christianity is all about? Introducing Christianity to Mormons, written by Mormonism Research Ministries' Eric Johnson, will help equip you to share the essential doctrines of the Christian faith with confidence. Published by Harvest House, each of the ten chapters includes examples of real-life evangelism encounters while giving clear steps on how the information can be used in witnessing situations. Introducing Christianity to Mormons is available wherever quality Christian books are sold.